You are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Catholic News. My name is Chris Mahalik. The source of our program is denvercatholic.org. It is never too late to take action against human trafficking by Courtney Mayers of the Catholic News Agency. On the 10th International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking, Pope Francis urged people to take concrete actions to combat this global scourge. Let us help one another to be more responsive, to open our lives and hearts to our sisters and brothers who even now are being bought and sold as slaves. It is never too late to take action, Pope Francis said in a message published February 8th. Let us pray fervently and work proactively for this cause, the defense of human dignity, whether by prayer and action as individuals and families or as parish and religious communities, as ecclesial associations and movements, and also in the various spheres of social and political life. The Pope's comments came as Catholics from more than 50 countries across the world rallied together virtually as part of an online prayer marathon for the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. Human trafficking is estimated to be a $150 billion industry that profits off an estimated 49.6 million victims worldwide, according to the International Labor Organization. The UN agency documented a 25% increase in the number of people experiencing modern slavery between 2016 and 21. Pope Francis established the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking 10 years ago to coincide with the February 8th Feast of St. Josephine Paquita, the patron saint of human trafficking victims. Together, let us walk in the footsteps of Sambakita, the religious sister from Sudan, who as a child was sold into slavery and was a victim of traffickers. Let us remember the wrong she endured, her suffering, but at the same time, her strength and her journey of liberation and rebirth to a new life, Pope Francis said. Sambakita encourages us to open our eyes and ears to see those who go unseen and to hear those who have no voice, to acknowledge the dignity of each person, and to fight trafficking and all forms of exploitation. St. Josephine Bakita was born in 1869 in Sudan. Around 1877, she was kidnapped and sold into slavery by Arab slave traders. During her time as a slave, she was beaten, tortured, and scarred. Eventually, in 1883, she was sold to the Italian vice-consul, Calisto Lagani, who took her back with him to Italy. While in Italy, she was given to a family and became their nanny, and that family eventually left her with the Canossian sisters in Venice when they traveled to Sudan for business. Once with the sisters, she learned about Christianity and decided to become Catholic. She refused to go back to family that enslaved her once they returned to Italy, and an Italian court ruled that since slavery had been outlawed in Sudan before her birth, she was not legally a slave. She was then freed from slavery. With her newfound freedom, Bakita remained with the Canossians. She took the names Josephine Margaret and Fortunata, 
the Latin translation of her Arabic name, Akita. Three years later, she became a novice with the Canossian Daughters of Charity and professed her final vows on December 8, 1896. She then lived out the remainder of her life in a convent in Schiel, Vicenza, working as a cook and doorkeeper. She died on February 8, 1947, and was canonized October 1st, 2000 by Pope John Paul II. Pope Francis urged people to respond to his appeal to fight human trafficking in honor of St. Josephine Bakita, who he said stands for all those men and women who, despite their enslavement, can still attain freedom. It is a call to take action to mobilize all our resources in combating trafficking and restoring full dignity to those who have been its victims. The online prayer marathon for the World Day Against Human Trafficking is being coordinated by Talitakum, a network of more than 2,000 Catholic religious sisters who serve on the front lines of the fight against sex trafficking, helping survivors find healing and true freedom. Religious sisters affiliated with Talitakum are present in 77 countries, Members of the network have served 10,000 trafficking survivors by accompanying them to shelters and other residential communities, engaging in international collaboration and helping them to return home. From my heart, I express my gratitude to everyone engaged in a celebration of this day, and I bless all those who are committed to combating trafficking and all forms of exploitation in order to build a world of fraternity and peace, Pope Francis said. Raising Catholic Kids, new studies suggest what successful parents have in common by Jonah McCown of the Catholic News Agency. At or near the top of almost any Catholic parents' list of things they want for their children is for them to continue practicing the Catholic faith into adulthood but recent statistics paint a sobering picture. In the United States today, only about 15% of children raised in Catholic households grow up to be faithful Catholic adults. The study titled Race Catholic, Who Stays and Who Goes was done by the Center for Applied Research and the Apostolate, or C-A-R-A, at Georgetown University in conjunction with the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life. The researchers used existing data from the General Social Survey, a widely used and respected resource, as well as more than two dozen original half-hour interviews with Catholics with adult children who remain active in the faith. Dr. Gregory Popsack, a widely cited Catholic counselor and co-executive director of the Peyton Institute, told CNA, that the overall conclusion of the study was that children who grow up in a warm and affectionate home, spending time with the family in fun prayer and service to others, are more likely to remain Catholic as adults. Families are effective in passing on the faith to the next generation to the degree that the children felt that the faith was a source of warmth in their homes, Poptech told CNA. Among households that were successful in fostering lasting faith, 
Children understood their parents to be open to hearing and talking about their children's doubts and struggles when it came to faith, an environment where kids didn't feel like they would be lectured or scolded for having questions or struggles or doubts. If a question arose that the parents didn't have the answer to, they would pursue the answer together, authoritative without being authoritarian, Popsack noted. Popsack, who, with his wife Lisa, led the creation of an app called Catholic HOM, told CNA that the study shows that faith formation efforts such as Catholic schools, youth groups, and other ministries, while very important, are secondary supportive to a strong faith within families. The Church has long taught and emphasized that a parent's role in fostering the faith of their children is original and irreplaceable, he noted. Popsack said he hears often from parents on his EWTN radio show that their children have left the faith and they want to know what happened. He said he usually asks the parents what they did to live the faith inside the home, and many parents express confusion, saying they gave their children numerous faith-related opportunities outside the home. We've sent the message to parents that it's everybody else's job to evangelize their kids, he commented. I think this truly reveals something that's hidden in plain sight. It completely challenges our entire approach to evangelization as a church because we invest all our time and resources into adult evangelization and youth ministry, and they're all good. I'm not knocking any of that. But unless families are living the faith at home, the other stuff doesn't stick, he explained. Everything else in the, ch the church does to evangelize outside of the family is really secondary and remedial. Intentional and conscientious, data cited by the researchers show that the number of people who remain practicing Catholics after being raised Catholic in the United States has been steadily declining for decades. In the 1970s, an average of 36% of those who were raised Catholic remain Catholic as adults and attended Mass weekly, peaking at 40% in 1977. By the 2010s, that figure was down just 15%. The researchers pointed out that this figure does not include those who were not raised Catholic and converted to Catholicism. In addition, Catholic immigration helps to maintain the overall Catholic population despite declining retention rates among native-born Catholics. Among those raised Catholic who leave the faith, about half become religiously un unaffiliated, and the other half adopts a new religious affiliation. The median age at which these former Catholics said they made the decision to leave the faith was 13, the researchers said. Dr. Mark Groves, a senior researcher with CARA, who worked on the study, told CNA that the research does not aim to provide a parent a checklist, and parents should treat it as such, shouldn't treat it as such. He said that while every family is different, the study did find patterns of association that seem to be common to families that successfully raise Catholic children. So what else did they find? Some of the common threads the researchers found are perhaps unsurprising. 
Mosaf and those who remain Catholic and weekly Mass attenders attended Mass every Sunday with their parents as children. Many were raised in Catholic schools or parish religious education. Their prayer life with their family was active before dinner, at bedtime, and with additional prayer time, such as family rosaries when possible. Another key through line in the data was the importance of families spending time together in charitable service to others. Some families, Popsack said, hosted immigrants in their homes, did community service projects together, and even had family discussions about their household budget to decide how they could sacrifice so that they could give to others in need. Yet another common factor that came up again and again, families that prioritize gathering daily for family dinners were more likely to raise Catholic children into adulthood. Family dinners are an opportunity to create communion through communication, Popsack commented. That is where families create a space to reflect on a day together, to make plans together, to communicate values. All the research really points to the importance of strong rituals for families' resilience and also in passing on values. Demographically, practicing Catholic adults were more likely to have parents who were still married. The data also suggested that children who grew up with one day one stay-at-home parent were more likely to practice their faith into adulthood and that they themselves are subsequently more likely to believe that one parent should stay at home rather than both parents working. While highlighting this data point, Fontek nevertheless pointed out that any household, regardless of their situation, can be intentional and conscientious about passing on the faith to the next generation. He reiterated that every family is different, and there is no one-size-fits-all approach to passing on the Catholic faith to children. But he said he believes that through this study, we've identified those practices that enable families everywhere, regardless of their socioeconomic status or their makeup or their culture, their nationality and ethnicity. They can develop their own mission and charism during this framework. Whatever the shape of your home is, whether you're a traditional family with a stay-at-home parent, or you're a two-career family, or you're a blended family, or a single-parent family, all families have their own struggles. But the more each household can live out these practices in their home, the more likely it is they'll be able to raise their children to a faithful adulthood, he said. A Joyful Sacrifice how men can prepare for marriage by Jared Stout. In our vocations crisis, we mostly focus on the priesthood and religious life, but a new dimension of this crisis falls fast upon us. Without strong Catholic marriages, the primary source of religious vocations would disappear. Beyond that, the sacrament of matrimony presents the ordinary path of sanctification for most Catholics, Young people, Catholics included, simply are not marrying. Although the U.S. Catholic population has increased significantly in the last few decades, the number of Catholic marriages has plummeted. The New York Times has even wondered about the broader trend, pointing to the dating habits of men as a major problem in a recent article. According to the opinion piece entitled, Why Aren't More People Marrying? Ask Women What Dating Is Like. Many women cannot find a suitable partner. 
who meets their expectations of commitment, stability in life, and emotional sensitivity, many cultural forces have turned men away from marriage, the distracting and isolating tendencies of technology, the, addition, the addiction that follows from it, delaying the responsibilities of adulthood, economic pressures, and hookup culture. The de decline of marriage self-perpetuates as it is no longer expected for young men to step up quickly, make a choice, settle down, and begin to provide. From a Catholic point of view, we could ask how men can prepare to enter fruitfully into marriage. First of all, like any vocation, it requires proper discernment. Sometimes people assume that they certainly will marry without thinking much about it, or on the other extreme, simply rule it out. For vocational discernment, the question should be what God wants. In a culture obsessed with personal freedom and fulfillment, it's important to be open to God's call, even to the unexpected. Growing up with divorced parents, I never thought much about marriage and was convinced for years I had a call to the priesthood. Simply taking a step back and being open to what seemed unlikely led me clearly in another direction. Marriage shouldn't be taken for granted or ruled out completely without proper discernment. To prepare for anything important, we need models and mentorship. A young man discerning marriage should find faithful married men to provide guidance. Marriage isn't easy, but has many rewards. It would be helpful for young men to understand the demands of supporting a family and how to integrate the demands of family, work, and prayer. For me, it was my college professors who invited me and my future wife into their homes for me meals and conversation. For a man to become a marriage material, it's important to form good habits with daily prayer at the top of the list. Rooted in daily communion with God, our work and sacrifices become fruitful through His grace. It's, it's impossible to become a holy husband without regular prayer. Many marriages continue to break up, even among Catholics. As Venerable Patrick Payton said, the family that prays together stays together. My wife and I began making a holy hour together each day in college. Now we're the first ones up in our homes to begin the day with prayer, assisted by coffee. Later, we pray morning prayer as a family and rosary after dinner. The vocation of men entails providing, protecting, and leading. To do this effectively for a family, men need to learn this discipline and sacrifice. In fact, these disciplines are needed for proper discernment by establishing a good daily routine and rooting out for distractions. What woman would be attracted to a man addicted to video games or who wastes time and money on frivolous things? To be a man for others requires putting off attachments to comfort and pleasure. This is why I began working for Exodus, known for its 90 days of prayer, ascetism, and fraternity, to help men strengthen their faith through greater sacrifice, abstaining from social media, unnecessary technology use, video games and TV, while embracing fasting, cold showers, a daily holy hour, and regular exercise. Men are made to respond to challenges, but often do not find a path growth within the church, and it's time to change that. 
Challenges to purity certainly present one of the greatest obstacles in preparing for mar marriage. Pornography undermines, undermines love, turning sexuality from a treasured gift to a pursuit of domination and self-gratification. When we look for the overarching cause of marriage's decline, certainly the divorce between sex and procreation looms large. Marriage has become a means of personal satisfaction, satisfaction and fulfillment rather than the embracement of a mission. The very origin of this sacrament comes from God's command to be fruitful and multiply. The sexual complementarity of man and woman finds its fulfillment in the chaste gift of marital love. I married at the age of 21 and as a young father staying up late to bounce babies and change diapers, I learned the real nature of love as a self-sacrificial gift. The sacrament that has slowly transformed me, showing me the nature of divine love through the embodied reality of the family with its many needs and joys. Finally, the young man must be able to provide and be present as a father. This requires maturity and committing to regular work and becoming emotionally present to others. Discipline and sacrifice are needed here too in refraining from unnecessary spending, saving money and establishing a career. More than making money, following the model of St. Joseph, work should be seen as a way of serving and providing, building up the common good and honoring God. As a father of six, I've always had to roll up my sleeves to pick up extra work while keeping the household running as smoothly as possible. I became a Benedictine oblet to, to guide my own integration of prayer and work within the domestic church of the family. With all the sacrifice involved, many men understandably hold back. No one is happy, however, without committing to something greater than oneself. Marriage offers a real path to happiness and holiness as a joyful sacrifice in imitation of Jesus' own gift of himself for his bride, the church. Winner, winner, rice dinner? Bishop's bet on Super Bowl by Joe Bucaras. It's a tradition for the Catholic bishops from two cities sending teams to the Super Bowl to make a friendly wager before the big game. With the Kansas City Chiefs back in their fourth Super Bowl in five years and the San Francisco 49ers making their first appearance since 2020, Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, Bishop James Johnson, and San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione made their friendly wager on EWTN News In-Depth with Monse Alvarado on Friday. I think we've got a good one, and the Archbishop and I have agreed that it's going to be a two-parter if we lose, Johnson said. If the Kansas City Chiefs lose, which is highly unlikely, but if we should, I'll be sending Archbishop Cordelione a gift pack from an American Jazz Museum. We're noted not only for barbecue, but also jazz, and I understand the Archbishop loves jazz, Johnson said. And this is the second part. We've agreed to support the Pregnancy Care Center of the Winner's Choice in each diocese so that we can focus on the importance of the gift of human life, Johnston said. Cordelion said, we want to hold up our love for mother and child, for women in these crisis pregnancies, 
and very difficult conditions, noting that each of our dioceses has the outreach. So we did not decide on an amount, a kind of thing that might be determined by the final score, but I'm doubly looking forward to the 49ers win as a lifelong jazz aficionado and no more appropriate place for jazz museum, Gorleon said. Gorleon added that for the second part of the bet includes something San Francisco is famous for. However, in that unlikely event that I do have to bring, give Bishop Johnston the other half of the gift, San Francisco is famous for many fun things, one of which is riceroni. So he will be gifted with a case of riceroni, he said. Riceroni, a rice and pasta mixture, was created by a California company and was well known for its commercial with San Francisco cable cars and a catchy jingle. Both bishops were asked if there was a particular saint they were praying to for aid for their team. Johnson said he would turn to St. Joseph, his, his diocese namesake, for Leon pointed to the uh, to his archdiocese namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, the patron saint of peace. So we pray for peace, good sportsmanship, and that through sports we can build up more goodwill and unity in the world. The teams will face off at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Mahalik. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777.